All right. It's a coven, man. Well, welcome back to the Split Take Podcast. We're here this week with uh, our usual co-host Chandler, but our good friend Nick Johnson, of uh, who's been on the podcast now three times. Three today. times? Yeah. This is the third Including time. today. This is the third time, yeah. Okay. And so you should already be familiar with him. I only yeah. watch I only watch movies from 1976 specifically. Ah. <laughs> so any movie <laughs> oh, other yeah, than Nashville, that, okay. other movie other than that, you're just gonna have to invite someone else. Is that like your personal mission statement? I only watch movies from 1976. It's a, it's yes. a stacked year. It's, it's a, a good manifesto. year though. You got a couple. You could watch Emmercord too. I that wasn't even uh, listed. So I, I I don't know if we discussed it on the podcast, but I know Nick definitely hasn't heard Nick. I suggested Nashville under the pretense that it was not on the list. We recently found out it was on the list. So, Ooh, so we are making an official correction here. That <laughs> this is an official that, correction. Yes, uh, doing some follow up. Nashville is in fact somewhere. See, I, I, I've lo- I know it's on here, and yet I've already lost it. So, what we will be doing instead is when we get to Nashville, we will instead be discussing the 2007 film Gooby. <laughs> which as far as i know is a strong contender for the next iteration of the list uh it's a uh, number 77 on the adjusted bfi critics list nashville or gooby nashville uh gooby's higher up <laughs> of course so i guess the question is since nick wow this is uh how serendipitous nick was on the nashville podcast so i guess we all can answer it Here's the question. Does Nashville deserve to be on the BFI top 100 movies of all time? Yes. Oh, sorry. I'll wait. Um, Chandler, I'll wait. Chandler, what was your answer? Uh, my answer was yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. Um, no, I think it 100% should be on that list. I think it's I think it's amazing. It's great. It's yeah, I'm, great. Go- I'm going with yes, too. So let's say. Wow. A unanimous a split take. BFI. Well, here's the so Chandler and I. Before our take, this, our take was really split there, man. It really you guys was. really got the name well, down. This podcast, I feel like it seems like we're not as split, but the fact of the matter is, is that I was doing a um, a spreadsheet with all of our decisions on, like yes or no, and we're we're actually pretty split on quite a few movies. And out of the twenty something movies we've watched so far, we have only said unanimously yes to six of them. Yeah, on the BFI list. Well, there you so go. A small list, small list. Being we're being being pretty harsh, mm-hmm. justifiably so, I think. I actually I made an Excel sheet of every episode I did for my podcast, and it revealed that it was indeed nothing. There's just nothing about it, <laughs> nothing of value to take away from it. It was just, it was just an Excel sheet with the names of the episodes and a number. It really gave me no information. So well, to be to be fair, we we have five people that listen to this one. Well, the next week it will be higher. We are reviving the Nothing with Nick Johnson, kind of. Eventually. Two veterans of the show right In in a spinoff. We're doing a spinoff. We're going to do a spinoff show. Podcast thing. Called something. Called Commentaries with Nick Johnson. It's called Movies with Nick Johnson. So now it's not not nothing anymore. Nothing but movies with Nick Johnson. it's a commentary track for movies. Um, So Nick and I watched solo a star wars story as kind of a test run the other night and we recorded a full-length converse it wasn't so much a com- uh, uh, a commentary as it was a review it was basically a review we were just kind of ranting about the movie for the runtime two and a half hours 
But it was a, it was, it was funny. I listened to it or a little bit of it. It was good. So you should go listen to it whenever I actually put that out. If I do. Yeah, it'll be up on wherever Nick wants to do it, and then somewhere on the. the film <laughs> We're gonna site. put it out in a few weeks when we cover Salo. It'll be Salo Solo, a uh, oh a split take podcast. <laughs> Salo mm. Solo, a podcast story. <laughs> both has a, have, both have a, a ridiculous amount of shit in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of shades of brown. Yeah. Especially Too many in, shades. In Solo, dear God. <laughs> More shades than you ever wanted to. Just go to watch the about. commentary track if you want to hear about shades of brown. Watch true, but uh, or you could just like watch a Spike Lee film. Chandler has been finding guests for the podcast, I so have. I got a few. as kind of a preemptive announcement, next week on the podcast we have a very special guest. If all goes according to plan, yes. You guys get Tyka on here. Ooh, Close. that'd be great. Did he answer the that'd email? No, no, he didn't. Oh, that's too bad. Well, well I addressed it, it, to, I addressed it to Hitler, so I don't think he went through. You said that there, you're, you're making this for five listeners. I am one of them, dude. Tell me who the guest is. It's uh, Daisuke. Daisuke Beppu. Oh, Daisuke the, oh. Beppu. Here, this is the part, this is the part where you'll just insert sounds of me sounding excited because I don't know who that is. Woo! Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a clapping noise. Dice, what is it? Daisuke Beppu is the most wholesome man on YouTube, maybe the planet. He's a, wow. a Japanese lawyer who lives in Tokyo, who has the craziest collection of movies I've ever seen, Criterion and otherwise. And he just discusses his movies, and he's got a very relaxing voice, borderline ASMR. And he's just a very wholesome man with a vast knowledge of all things film. You know, I think there's there's been like seminal film critics in the history of film criticism oh god here comes the take you have roger ebert you have pauline kale maybe mark kermode definitely mark kermode and i th- i think you could say in terms of you know i think you could even include people like red letter media on that list definitely the, at least jay uh jeremy jans on youtube whether you like yes. his style or not chris I think stuckman that, yeah. that had both of them i don't know which one started first but they they have pioneered a new form of film criticism and i think daisuke beppu is a genre unto himself he really is doesn't necessarily does doesn't necessarily change the landscape of film criticism but uh, fulfills a very unique and never before seen niche in uh film criticism yes couldn't agree more. very excited yes he's very the excited to two of humans <laughs> of what we very know good of what he's, we know yeah he's a good human He's up there. One of my favorite guys. So I guess the the other question that we should answer before we, we get into our main uh, features for the week is, uh, does anyone have any fun uh, personal movie news from the past week that they've, As in you've watched? Watching? Or, yeah, anything you've watched, any news you've heard, any uh, uh Taika Waititi got a Star Wars movie. Taika Waititi is. That's, That's pretty joyous tight. news. It's it's good news. I think that's good news. I don't know where they're going as far as actual, uh, you know, um, trilogies are, but I'm welcome to a Taika Waititi movie. I mean, we have literally zero knowledge of what Taika's doing, but yeah, we're here for it. Yep, no, I agree. I just hope that these 
kind of things. I don't know. I felt like him doing Thor Ragnarok was a good way to get his name out there so he could do mm-hmm. other stuff. Then he did Jojo Rabbit, which was pretty good. And I was kind of hoping that it would just be a, a, a like a one-off thing where he just did, you know, the one and then he... Because Jojo Rabbit did really well, too. So yeah. I wanted to see more Taika Waititi original stuff, but whatever. That's fine. It'll just be like an original Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I agree. I, I want to see He more. said he wanted to make a sequel to What We Do in the Shadows about the wolves, and I've yet to see that. Ooh. And he wanted to call it Weird Wolves. Finger cro- fingers crossed he'll get to that eventually. Yeah. That's awesome. And then there's the Akira adaptation that I oh, don't yeah. even think I don't think that's happening anymore. No? Oh. I don't think it is. There hasn't been news on it in a while. Tycho was supposed to direct that? Yeah. yeah, he was he was supposed to do that after Thor 4 Love and Thunder. Yeah, which I have wow. no idea how you can even adapt that. I I, I like the, uh, Taika Waititi gets really good performances out of children. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd be able to do it. I don't want to see like a, a quirky version of Akira, but whatever. I'm not huge on Akira. In general, I think Akira, so. has, it, it's a much darker tale than I think Taika is normally doing. Yeah. Well, because Jojo Rabbit is obviously very dark, but he can hide that behind quirkiness. Well, it's a comedy. There, is nothing quirky about the abomination body horror that happens in the last 20 minutes of Akira. Look, I'm just excited for more Taika, and quite frankly, I'd rather see him directing a big-budget movie than a bunch of other people, so... You're not wrong. You know, You're not wrong. Uh, there. I'd rather it's... see a Trevor Rowe movie. Who? Cringe. I watched that uh, documentary on Netflix about psychedelics last night. Was it oh, called? yeah, I saw that. Have a good trip? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how was um, it? It's literally just like a bunch. It's like a celebrity drug ego project. Awesome. It's literally just these celebrities telling stories, and they have like some little asides and stuff. But it is a large majority just celebrities telling their stories, good or bad. And I don't know. So kind of like know. that. Uh, it was semi interesting at first, and then like, and then. You know, you you get the gimmick about 15 minutes in and there's another hour and a half. There's a similar documentary like that on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. It might be somewhere else. And it's a documentary about anime. Just like the concept of anime. Yeah. But then the actual documentary, all that really says is Japanese people really like anime. Anime is short for animation and you really don't learn much. Cringe. (laughs) Netflix has like become the documentary machine now. It's just, just millions of documentaries on that. Well, they're platform. easy to produce or they're easy to buy. Yeah. You know, it's most people making documentaries probably don't expect to to get big distribution. They're they're making it for other reasons. So Yeah. Netflix can get them just buy them up like candy. Give it to us. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice that people are watching documentaries now. I feel like It is lives. good, yeah. I feel like it's every week people are talking about a new documentary. That that Michael Jordan one everyone's talking about right now. Uh, I, I feel like I'm only really talking about it because I miss sports. I don't think it's that great, <laughs> to be honest. I think it's just like, I think it's kind of good with a fascinating story. It's not like done like super well, though. I feel the, the key to success nowadays is just find a crazy story and then make a documentary about it. And you're you're halfway there. Yep. Because it's like Tiger King and a bunch of other stuff. 
just latch on to whatever the zeitgeist is going Tiger for. Tiger King especially. Tiger King and um, Crazy Evil Genius. But yeah, but also there's the, what was it, American Factory that won the Oscar for... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched that. And that, that also feels a lot like they're just grabbing at what is relevant these days. Yeah. And not necessarily any, like, judgment on quality. Haven't seen it. But... It's good. You know, if you wanted to make something... Documentaries are easier to produce. And if you want yeah. to make something uh, that has the chance of, of blowing up, you know, pick a, a relevant topic. Could be something serious or could be something way out there like Tiger King. And mm-hmm. make a documentary. You're not wrong. Yeah, but American Factory, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> filmmaking expertise there. So you can't just be any dude. You got to make a good documentary, too, because documentaries can turn to shit like very quickly and just be so boring. Or just have no point. It is true. It's interesting that we're talking about documentaries because our first film is a documentary. <laughs> yes. Segway. Filmmaking, man. All right. Who wants to introduce this one? Are we All ready right. to move on or does anyone I'm else ready have? to move on. Yes. Okay. I've been anticipating this for a while. So right. this week's Chandler, uh, do you wanna do you wanna explain yes. the backstory? So I this movie is a movie I've been wanting to see for a very long time. The movie is called Coven. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's actually called American Movie. It's a documentary about um, Mark. I don't know his name. Last Mark Borchart. M- Mark Borchart, who uh, is a documentary about this guy, Mike Mark Borchart, who's aspiring filmmaker from Wisconsin. Now, it's a movie I've been wanting to see for a long time because it's a movie that I hear nothing but praise about. Um, and people who I know who don't even like documentaries are like this documentary is hilarious. So I've been wanting to watch for a long time and I it's not available to stream anywhere for rent or otherwise. There's no Blu-ray of it and the DVDs online being sold are being sold for upwards of like $80 because it's been out of print for a while. And it's one that I wanted to watch and I was getting to the point where I was just going to download it or find a stream of it. But I went into Zia Records last week for the first time in a few months um, since the pandemic and I went in and in the display case near the entrance was a copy of American movie mm-hmm. pre-owned for $25. Ooh. So I bought it. I went home and I watched it. And since then that was last week. And since then I've seen it two and a half times. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's is literally Chandler and I's exact humor, but it's like real people. <laughs> So the the documentary is essentially about this guy who is an aspiring filmmaker and the movie is going to chronicle the making of his feature length masterpiece Northwestern. But then about 15 to 20 minutes into the movie, he just abandons that completely and goes back to finish his short film called Coven <laughs> from like three years ago. That By he just Coven, stopped. we mean Coven. Coven. Cove, okay, Coven, also pronounced Coven, also pronounced Coven. It's his short film that he filmed three years before but never finished. And you don't have to, you know, be experienced in filmmaking to enjoy this, but I do think that it helps. And it's it's such a bizarre movie because I find it equally inspiring and depressing. See, I don't know about equal I was looking parts. online, but... I saw a lot of people saying like this is inspiring and stuff. Like this this was not inspiring to me whatsoever. It wasn't like it wasn't really? a downer. 
But okay. it also wasn't funny at all to me. You didn't think it was funny? You didn't oh, think no. it was funny, dude? No, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> you didn't like the part where he starts he starts saying he wants his interiors to look like the seventh seal. And he's like okay, in I, Wisconsin uh, with there's a, a lot handy of cam. Like, there's a lot of not like he's un this protagonist, this main guy making the <laughs> film, might be the most simultaneously self-aware and yes. unself-aware person I've ever that's, seen in that terms is, of filmmaking. That is what's so crazy about it. Because I've seen, I'm sure all of us have seen our fair share of just the most incompetent filmmakers. I don't think Mark's an idiot. No. Mark knows a good amount of stuff. He's a decent actor. I think he he's his sense of visual language is actually pretty you know it's it's a lot better informed than most people he's got a pretty diverse uh range of influences too as me and nick were talking about before there's that shot where you can see all of the different film books he's got like romero he's got bergman he's got spike lee but the man is just so obsessed with this idea of fame the bottom line that he is cutting so many corners that he's just sabotaging himself. But I find his spirit to be pretty inspiring. See, that's that's okay, so that's where we differ, I suppose, is that I did not find his spirit inspiring because it you think about it for five seconds and you know he's not going anywhere. Like the, yes. the spirit is good and all, but that's it'll only take you so far. He he's kind of like he's in a hole and he's never gonna get out of it. Unfortunately. Yes. And yet I have nothing but respect for that dude because he's just like, there's alcoholism going on. There's there his friend is a gambler. <laughs> there's the people are, are his uncle or whatever that guy was. He uncle died Bill? at the end. Spoiler. God, I, I want, love Uncle I Bill want because. dollars today. <laughs> it's such a shitty <laughs> life. <laughs> and yet <laughs> I guess what is inspiring is that he is so like so shitty around him everything that's just yet and yet he manages to persevere through all of that and make yeah. this film even though where does it go from okay. there filmmaking is not easy in the slightest and he's out there in the middle of nowhere and he is using what he has which i find and also he might might be kind of an idiot but he is certainly not lazy and I think that is where this kind of character or person, because he is real. And that is the part of this which boggles my mind the most. That these are real people. But <laughs> oh, there, God. There, there's something. I have a question to pose in a little while that I, has been eating at me, but I don't think it's on topic just yet. But I will say he he has this like weird way of like knowing a lot, but like not knowing a lot. He's a con he, like, artist. He, he knows that the he knows that the camera audio usually isn't very good because you can hear the camera rolling, and he yeah. knows we should get ADR to replace it. But then, like, he doesn't even really check if it syncs up. Like, he, they're they're not like watching anything even, or basing it off. He didn't even print in the right frame rate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. Sh- not the Which right I frame rate. It was hilarious. So it's audiences it's like, are paying to see this much, man. And we have this much. What about this much right here? What happens then? <laughs> but they paid for this much and we're only giving them this much, man. Uh, I think 
And he's also really good at editing. Let's be fair. Yeah, his editing wasn't even that bad in that. I mean, Especially I honestly, I think they were cutting. Film. I think they were cutting around the different segments in the movie, so it may have been oh, like a, a. We may be seeing they posts from the were. documentary for, team. For the record, him. yeah, I have to give him so much credit because he's not using digital cameras here. No, it's are, film. All this film. is actual film, and I, I still, after years of of film school, don't have a clue on how one edits film and i i have to give him all the props in the world for making that happen and it's interesting when you when you check up on him like what is he doing now <laughs> he has like two in progress projects that <laughs> still have been no in progress since the year 2000 yeah but <sighs> Which, i don't know has he heard of digital i it well, must be, it's cheaper to film these days yeah. so okay here here's the moment where it becomes inspiring to me Mm. Uh, at the end, when so many people show up to his movie, I didn't yeah, think anybody I, I was going to show up. That's that's um, obviously okay, so, so he didn't to, make to all the money point, back. To that point, I want to I want to drop this question, or maybe finish your thought first. You might have to finish your thought. But well, I, I was mean to cut I, it off. I was just going to say that th- obviously he didn't make he didn't sell the three thousand copies that he needed to sell, but there was I it's. On the one hand, it's this weird little um, study of this guy who's just completely delusional. But on the other hand, it's nice to see this community come together and make something. And you see all the different people in the town that are in it. And it's not great, but it's theirs. And there is a sense of accomplishment at the end. They don't really go into whether or not the movie is good. It doesn't look good to me, if I'm being completely honest. But I think it's like it's it's an inspiring message but the delusions that he faces, I think, are the real emphasis of this. Story. I think that this whole project serves a similar uh, societal purpose as like a uh, a church and a pastor does. Yeah. Where it's bringing, like you said, bringing together the community and no one really cares what the quality is. No. Only the fact that it is of their community and by their community and mm-hmm. they're showing up to support that and mark what's his name again mark borchard yeah mark so he's this very like big he has a big personality you would say yes and probably and he, and he is able to convince more people to get onto this project um than probably his logic would demand that you know yeah a lot of us on the other end of the camera like why are you why are you working on this why are you giving money to this project but it is inspiring to see that like, community rally around this project in spe- in particular. And then the theater at the end, that there are so many people there. And it's probably a lot of people worked on it. A lot of people helped and are, are friends of friends on that project. Yes. Yeah. What's the question, Nick? Yeah. Do you guys think any part of this movie is fictionalized? No. I don't know. There's 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 scenes that... There's scenes that are just so like too good to be true that like they're what? catching this on camera. Like like the part where the like the best friend just like goes through his full OD story just on camera. <laughs> I love Mike Shank. Can I just no, say No, Mike Shank, Mike Shank the is the best character in the movie. whole movie. But Mike <laughs> Shank 
I love the well, I love the part by the way, just completely off topic when he's just like, I, I just got to see Mike's smile today, and that just brought me right out of it. And I was like, this I is love the it. most wholesome I friendship. I love it when they're recording the ADR and afterwards after Mike is smashing the car, Mark's like, Oh man, that was that was cathartic, wasn't it, Mike? And Mike's like, Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you don't know what man. cathartic means, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, when they're putting up flyers, and Mark's like, all right, Mike, man, I need you to strategically hang these up. We only have a few flyers. All right, man, so I need you to put them in high visibility areas. And Mike's like, okay. And then Mike just walks away, and Mark's like, oh, Mike, Mike, Mike. He's like, yeah? He's like, dude, the flyers. He's like, oh, he didn't even take the flyers with him. <laughs> and then See, when they're like, filming... That's, that, that's, it's just... It's like too good to be true to be catching all this on camera. No, I, mean, I feel it, like this okay. is a gold mine of documentary. But that's that's why it's it so fake. great. The, okay, so there is a show that I like called Half in the Bag, um, or no, not Half in the Bag. That's the Redland Media Show. I was about I to meant, say, what's like, in a my show bag? you like? Like what? Yeah, was what's in my bag? What's in my bag is a show that Amoeba Records does, where they get various people, famous people, at the store to you know talk about what they bought, and they had one with Mike Shank and his wife on, and Mike Shank is just like that. <laughs> Mike <laughs> is just the he, the best part of the whole movie is when Mike records his scream. Oh yeah, and he's like that. Yeah. One. He's like that. That was rad, man. <laughs> Mike, who says who's he talks at like negative twenty decibels this whole movie, goes to record a scream for the ADR, and he does the most ear splitting, powerful scream, and he just goes right back into being Mike. And Mark's just like, "Oh, that was wicked, man." There's so many like so much with the ADR is funny with them recording it there's mm -hmm. the 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 moment where he's recording adr and it, the little girl is there yeah and she doesn't under and he's trying to explain adr to her that's her that's and, his daughter yeah yeah, yeah. so he's trying to explain it to her and <laughs> he, he just not he doesn't really raise his voice but you know like that he says yeah. what is it you do not understand about <laughs> adr and it's just like the behind the scenes of the filmmaking it's just that's what I love to see, this, like, though. Him trying to explain this, yeah, this process, that's... this convoluted process to his daughter. Well, that's why I love this because it is a goldmine of th things that you just can't believe are real. Like when Uncle Bill has that line in the movie, "Jesus loves you" or whatever, gives you something to live for, and he records like thirty-two takes, and, and then, then he the says, one... "I'm done. I'm not doing any more." <laughs> And then in the final edit, it just sounds horrible anyway. Like, you might as well yep. just use the camera audio. It does. <laughs> I really love Uncle the... What's his name? Bill. Uncle Bill. That's my favorite character. But Uncle Bill's great because he's the only person who understands how shitty the whole thing is. And then but, he goes to the bank and they're setting up the bank account and then they're trying to explain like, only you have access to this. Just, just this old man, the sweet old man, and just surrounded by this nonsense. Oh God! And another part that I love is uh, just Mike talking about lottery tickets. <laughs> Where he's like, "Oh, I play the lottery every single day, and you know, every day sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but it's it's better than doing drugs or alcohol because <laughs> when you do drugs or alcohol, you always lose." <laughs> Yeah, I won $50 earlier, but I wasn't going to tell them because then they just asked me to borrow it. 
Well, that's okay. Did anyone ever see Hot Rod? No. Yeah, dude. Well, there's a scene in Hot Rod where Bill Hader is just very nonchalantly recover, uh, recalling a drug story that resulted in him getting a giant piece of shrapnel in his eye. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just, that whole scene, I'm just like, this is exactly what Mike Shank is like all the time. That sto- his OD story was amazing. It was also like, it was Mike so Sh- depressing. To it was. To I couldn't believe it. Mike Shank also did all the music, which I think is great. Did he? Wow, yeah, he that. he did all the music for the movie. Because, you know, there's a few different scenes where he's just playing the guitar, but he did all the music. Yeah. A homegrown project, if there ever was one. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is the 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 title American movie, I think, is super appropriate because so much of the American dream, good or bad, is in this movie. Well, it's interesting that, like, I think the settings is important because it's taking place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and it's taking place in these these for lack of a better term, white trash neighborhoods. It is. Yes. And the, I think there's, there, there's a tendency for people who grew up like we did um, to kind of forget about that side of America. Yeah. And that side of America is maybe not most, but the, the, there are most, a lot of America is like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, when we're talking about the title of American movie, it's very applicable in in the case that like this is this is showing how like just a normal everyday person doesn't have much education dropped out of high school yeah is trying to make ends meet and is trying to make a movie on the side and it feels very much not like no one's giving him like a, a helping hand up he's not someone who's going to usc he's not the a big filmmaker in any way no nope. he has everything every like normal backwater american uh kind of person to him all those traits and i i suppose yeah i mean it depends on how you look at it but it is inspiring from the fact that like just anyone literally anyone the message of this film is literally anyone could pull a film together if you have enough yes uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh determination passion determination passion drive and uh the funds well that's the thing is if it was just about that, I think it'd be a pretty good documentary. But the fact that it has that element and there's also these more tragic part where you have this guy who Mark really, I mean, he loves the people around him, but he really hates who he is. Not just as a person, but just like his lot in life. That scene at the, uh, when they're watching the Super Bowl and he's just drunkenly going off about factory workers he very much detests that kind of person, but he is that kind of person. Like when he's talking about how he has th- that time where he had to go pick up shit. If anything, Mark's worse off than most of the other people he's talking about. <laughs> so there's this idea that he wants, he feels like he's owed something greater because that's the whole American dream. If you work hard, you will succeed. You can do anything. And to an extent that is true, he did achieve what he wanted to do but that didn't guarantee him success yeah in the strictest sense which is why i think that that like balance between tragedy and comedy and inspiration is what makes this great also it's just hilarious it's it's they really they struck gold they struck documentary gold i actually if this isn't fake i need to do research I no, it's not the question fake. of of being fake or not to your earlier question, Nick. It's 
it's honestly, I feel like you find Mark and you spend five minutes with him and you, he's one of those people that you just know have so much to dig into. And the, this documentary, like you said, it works so well because that there's this complicated character in the center of it. It's a character study documentary, essentially. Yeah. And you can yeah. definitely tell that it's not rehearsed because the, the beginning of the movie would lead you to believe that he's going to uh, be making Northwestern. But he doesn't. He gets derailed almost immediately and goes back to Colvin. Colvin. <laughs> Colvin. It, the fact that he doesn't know how to pronounce that is oh my God, the single great. greatest thing to come out of this film. <laughs> I love, but that's the thing is that there's all these different characters that you're like, okay, these are so ridiculous. You have Uncle Bill, Mike is just hilarious. The thespian guy, for some fucking reason, there's like a there's a hardcore thespian living in Milwaukee. His brother who thinks he's a serial killer, the other brother who gives the interview in his fucking Hooters shirt, the Hooters shirt. <laughs> the Hooters shirt. There's just actual characters in this film that there are. round out the world of it creates like a little world. You're you're thrust into the reality of yeah. Mark. And it feels like a complete picture of of Milwaukee and where he is at. I also love the scene where he's smashing the guy's head through the cabinet before he realizes <laughs> that he didn't dummy the cabinet right. The cat it's just a regular cabinet. <laughs> he's like he's like like, he he, he like takes a look at the back of it after do it slamming in his head to it for like two full takes he looks at the back and he's like ah shit man i'm sorry i made you bump your head into this this wood's pretty strong i'm like you didn't even you didn't determine that prior to starting the shot you just he's like oh fuck man this board isn't ready hold on wait a minute i'm sorry about that fuck man I, i made you do this one uh, but you know, now that now you guys have convinced me, because the more I think about it now, that that one scene where like his um for lack of a better term, baby mama runs away, and then he's like still getting that final shot in the backseat of the car, and he's like all slow and puffing, and then he goes on like a little monologue about life. Yeah, yeah. Like that that there's that the acting is far too good in that if it's not real. You it's know all I mean? real. I th- I don't know yeah. why you keep getting this idea that it's not real. It is real. One of my other favorite scenes was that same cabinet in the kitchen, yeah. but he, it's him in the shot and it's his mom or I think it's his mom <laughs> operating the camera. <laughs> she keeps turning it off. Yeah, <laughs> I love how like halfway through that scene, she finds the monitor and then like fully explains her job. So like, what was she doing prior to like being <laughs> able to see the shot? Like what, what did she think she was doing? I love when they're filming the scenes with the hooded guys and then Mike like stops acting. He's like, oh, and he says Mark's mom's and he's like, oh, uh, can you do me a favor and you, uh, grab my soda and you put it on the tarp so when we're done filming, it doesn't freeze and I can still drink my soda. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite part was I don't even remember what this is. But I'm going to read the quote because I have to pull it up because it has to be for real. Or Mark just goes, last night, man, I was so drunk. I was calling Morocco, man. Calling, trying to get the Hotel Hilton at Tangiers in Casablanca, man. That's, I mean, that's, that's pathetic, man. Is that what you want to do with your life? Suck down peppermint schnapps and try to call Morocco at two in the morning? That's senseless, but that's what happens, man. (laughs) It's It's a great movie. 
It's so out there. That line of dialogue is so out there. It could not have been conceivably written by a human but being. But the, the first thing that happens at the beginning of the movie that immediately I'm like, okay, this is for real. Is when Mark is going through all of his bills and then he's just complaining about his like, ah, oh, gas money. I got to borrow 32 bucks from my mom, man. And then at the end, he's like, oh, sick. I got a MasterCard. <laughs> oh, life sometimes is pretty good, man. <laughs> uh, it's it's too real for me. That's that's the only thing uh, for it to be inspiring. I think and that's too why real, I love it's it. <laughs> the failure of of filmmaking because it it's a failure. It, oh, it is a hundred. If you're looking at it objectively, yes, it is. But a lovable. Yeah, but here's the thing: is you know, I'll I'll end it on this. I don't think this movie would work nearly as well if it wasn't for Mike. I love the dynamic between Mark and Mike because they they're both different breeds of simple, but they get along so well that I think their relationship, even if at times I feel like is Mark asks a little too much of Mike. I think they're genuine friends and I like them. There's that part of the beginning where Mike is like, uh, He's like, Mark's my friend, man. If Mark's making a movie, I'm making a movie, man. Or what he's just talking about, he's like, oh, man, one time I went over to Mark's house and I got a bottle of vodka. And he just goes on about the story where literally the whole story is just though they were drinking. That's all that the story was. They were drinking together. He's like, I didn't have any friends, man. So I asked all these people to come drink a fifth with me and no one came to drink it, man. But then one time Mark actually came, man. And like, that's the whole story. And he just... (laughs) He, he was really appreciative that Mark came and that was what built their whole friendship. And then at the end, he's uh, when the show's in the movie and uh, Mark's like, would you buy this for $15? And Mike's like, oh, yeah, man, I'd buy this for $15. <laughs> yeah, it's like, of course you would. <laughs> and it's wholesome. Like, it's the wholesomeness that grounds the film. Yes. Away from kind of the darkness of it. So do you think this deserves to be on the BFI list? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love this movie. I gave it a four and a half at the start. I think I'm going to go full five. I love this movie. Wow. I full love five. it. I love it. I, it is a very well-made documentary if none of that yeah. is real. I'm not, it's high, not that high as four and a half, but I would recommend it fully. Oh, yes. It's very Especially for filmmakers. Oh, yes. It's a very entertaining documentary. Here's the here's another question. So we we all three of us are big fans of the YouTube channel Red Letter Media. Yes. Which is also located in Milwaukee. Do you think they're they're aware of of this of this filmmaker, this filmmaking genius in their city? The Red Letter Media boys. I really I so. they have to have seen it. I I think they must have. But how, I don't know. When you see how jazzed they got when they found out that uh Surviving Edged Weapons was made in Milwaukee, like if this movie exists, they have to have seen it by now. There's just no way. Yeah. By the I way, mean, when I was doing some research, it looks like this dude's still making movies and has a bunch out. He's he's acted oh, in a few movies. Yeah, he's acted in a, in a bunch, but he hasn't. I don't think he's finished anything. Well, a lot of stuff is in progress. I just want to see Northwestern. That's his masterpiece. And none of them were Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a, it's it's one. It's a very rare. A collector's item obviously but like a, a copy of coven on vhs Holy goes for like shit. thousands of dollars yeah that's yeah. amazing the movie itself though is he on probably YouTube. isn't seeing any of that no oh god no 
Well, I don't know. I feel like after this movie came out, he had to have sold all those copies. It says on the Wikipedia page for Coven, uh, by 2004, Born Charts had sold 5,100 copies of Coven at 14.95 each. Damn. So I think he made that. He he paid back the three thousand bucks he owed. I I would not be surprised if he got a decent amount of funding for Northwestern after the success of this movie. Because this movie wasn't like a huge success, but it was featured at Sundance. It won a few awards, and is kind of like a cult-ish movie. It's pretty popular though. It's just hard to find. So all I'm saying is, when's the Criterion release? I would American love a criterion movie. of this. Or Arrow, at least. And it comes with cool. I love it. And then, like, a Where Are They Now? Little oh, I just wanted I want a director's commentary with uh, Mark and Mike. I think there is a director's commentary. Oh, God. I, I didn't check the special features. It literally was just, like, play, scene selection, and subtitles. You got to remember as well that he did all of this just because he went to a garage sale once and they had a Super 8 camera for $40. And that uh, was hey, why he, that was why he started making movies. We we were never accusing him of not being ambitious and driven. It's the simple stuff that gets us all started on the filmmaking path. Yeah. Uh so, all right. So I, I I picked this movie because I thought it would be a great pairing with an actual American movie. I'm not and, sure it was a great pairing. The, these two films could not be more they're, dissimilar. Okay. I thought they'd be similar because uh this movie so American movie is Mark and Mark are so desperately trying to capture the essence of Jaws, which is our movie of the week. I'll tell you another similarity is Mike's in Mike's big monologue is very much like the Indianapolis monologue. They both and they both happen at similar points in the film. A two thirds mark. Can we do, can we take two minutes real quick? So. The BFI movie of this week is Jaws, which, if you haven't heard, is directed by Steven Spielberg and is from 1975. Wait, I watched Schindler's List. Oh, you did? Fuck. Damn it. That's all the same. I watched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, no, I watched Ready Player One. I don't know who had the, the short end of the stick there. Me. Yeah, who watched the worst movie there? I think they. Oh, no, I watched Jack, directed by so- uh, Sophia Coppola, by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Robin Williams. What Wait, we're doing the BFI about, films list? I thought we were doing the BFI cinema list. I watched Gooby. <laughs> no, okay, so Jaws? Yeah, Jaws. <laughs> This is the first film on this list that I feel a majority of people have seen. Yes. Or know of. Yes. And uh, therefore, I don't think it needs much of an introduction before we go into our general thoughts and opinions on the film. But we can just give it a quick summarization. Uh, Police chief works on Amity Beach and there's a shark and he has to go kill the shark. There it is. That was was nice and simple. All right. Who's going first? What do we think of Jaws? What are what is our history with Jaws? I'm very curious as to when we first watched Jaws. I don't I think you want to know when the first time was. I think it, I was a kid. Embarrassing. I, I liked it a lot when I was a kid because I, I liked sharks and dinosaurs. And this one was great. My complaint as a kid that the shark wasn't in there enough. Um, But I'll say this. So now you understand the art yes. behind it. <laughs> I will say this. This is the first time I'd seen Jaws in, I think, over 10 years. 
Somewhere around there. Because I, I saw the last time I saw Jaws was similar or close in time to the last time I watched the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, I watched it. I remember when I watched it that long ago. I'm like, this is a pretty good movie. Um, I have been, gone on record multiple times saying I'm not the biggest Spielberg fan. Indiana Jones trilogy. Okay. E.T. I've always found it to be annoying. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan is amazing and then decent. Schindler, Schindler's List. I, I will say the, the two movies that I've always considered to be the ones that I actually really like are Schindler's List and Jaws. And after watching this movie again yesterday, for the first time in over a decade, uh, I hate to say it, but this movie is uh, it's, it's perfect. It is, it is literally a, a perfect, perfect film. movie. I and texted you guys this earlier. I don't think I've ever liked it as much as I liked it this time. I have to say two things is I watched this when I was when I was a kid and I don't really remember much of it because it traumatized me. It's scary. I I don't know why this film is PG. This film oh my is God, not they a have, PG they rated have, film. The, the part that especially jumped out at me was that we're looking at actual images of shark attacks literally mutilated bodies and i'm like damn this is pg-13 quint gets bitten in half on screen oh yes blood and they cut to a they cut to a close-up of blood just like shooting out of his mouth the body they find at the bottom of the ocean so much that jumps it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to its uh uh the the harm that the shark causes oh yeah i always like when i was a kid i was like oh this first half, it's boring. The second half, I'm terrified. I'd hate this film. Not really. I just that was like the, yeah. the the purely psychological reaction to it as a young kid. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't watch it for many many years, and um, it's steadily steadily risen in my film mind. And I'd say it is almost perfect. I think that there's a there's there's a small issue I have with it ever so small and it's like two two shots oh but i have other I than have, that i have one issue and my only issue is the first shark they catch looks terrible okay is that a real shark Moving on I well i'm just saying it fine it uh, i don't know okay. nick what was your history and your opinion first time i watched this film was uh damn for fmp 101 or fms 101 Intro oh, who, who was your uh, instructor? It was the it was that guy. Fortunato. Gonna give him no. Oh, Fortunato's great. It was the other guy. Well, because Fortunato is gonna give him the vindication of saying his name, but oh, I, know I don't know. Who you're, oh, I have no idea who you're talking about. Okay. It was that guy. Oh. But, um, oh. Okay. Yeah. He seemed like yeah yeah whatever. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember when I first watched, I'm like, this is you know this is really good. This is really good movie. And then I watched it again with my roommates or my friends on my floor like a couple months later. I was like, this is pretty good. And I don't think I've watched it since. But I, dude, that's a god that's a goddamn movie right there. That is that that is some fucking movie. I'll I'll have to say I'm I, telling you right now. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's it's okay. it's it's like that it's that thing where it's I don't think I don't know if it's as good as Parasite. Maybe Parasite's better, maybe it's not. But it's one of those things where almost every aspect of filmmaking is so damn near perfect 
No, I agree that it's just like it just the the product just feels so um fleshed out and it's just it's just perfect. It's just perfect. I agree with you uh Jacob that when I saw it when I was littler, I always hated the first part cuz I'm just like get to the end that's where it's fun. When I was watching it this time, I was just blown about away by the simplicity but effectiveness the, of the filmmaking. The first yes. half of the film is utterly mesmerizing in filmmaking terms. It's <laughs> yeah, so like the blocking, the the framing and the camera shots that they they have, the way that Spielberg um manipulates all of these elements together, the editing, editing like is it's one Mas- sequence after another where you say to yourself, "Wow, that was genuinely inspired filmmaking." And obviously the the one that comes to mind is the the beach se- the second beach sequence. Um, with the dolly zoom, with the the dolly, dolly zoom, zoom yep. the but the build up in that whole sequence, I forgot there was masterful. a fake out. The dog, well, the dog dies too, but never what? see the dog again. In the in the that sequence, oh, I, the dog goes first. That raises the the tension. Oh yeah, yeah, slowly the yeah. Well, I oh, I forgot the, the fake out of the the, the, the people with the shark. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. There's a lot I forgot about this movie. I forgot that. Um, uh, that's the third shark attack. Yeah. I forgot that the scientist lives. I thought he died for some reason. Hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it, God, it's just so simple and effective. And I think where I really latched on to that was in the beginning when, you know, the chief is called over cause a woman, you know, went missing and then Mm -hmm. he goes over and he sees the body, but you don't see what happened. Oh, the blocking in that shot is so good. It's the walk down the beach, and then you see just his horrified reaction. And then it cuts to him entering his office, and you go, and he's going, and his secretary's like yelling at him with all these trivial little things like, oh, the kids are karate chopping the gates. And you're like, oh, this is so petty, and she's so overworked by it. But then he goes, and he's in the typewriter, and you just see him type, cause of death, shark attack. And I'm just like, oh, that's just so, so many things are going on. It tells, it shows, doesn't tell. It it shows you just how big of a threat this is in this otherwise fairly um, inactive town. And you can see immediately that the chief understands that this is no laughing matter. Let's talk about that. Like the opening scene of this film mm-hmm. is... Like talk about a way to get your audience hooked because yes. it, the the opening scene of Jaws is literally sex and violence. The two things that get audiences like zoomed in on, on a, on a movie. Yes. Right. You got the, the guy chasing the girl in the beginning and mm-hmm. then you got the, the girl being like ripped apart in the water. And it's even like, there's little bits of, of like, Spielberg's dark humor from his earlier career in this film. Yeah. And one of them was uh, in the very first scene when she's being like thrown around wildly in the water uh-huh. and then it hard cuts back to the guy who's just passed out on the beach. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> it's great. And that, and the, the idea of like a prologue scene that introduces a villain is like so copied in every horror film now and every, a lot of action movies and well that's the thing about this movie cringe. is that you know I, I i 
I, I was thinking towards the end where I'm like, you know what? This is another one of those rare cases where I'm fully on board with an action film. And then I thought to myself, is this action or is this horror or is it suspense? And I think uh, it's mostly a drama film. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's a tell of a, of a really great movie when it's hard to categorize into one genre. Parasite being another example. Um, but uh yeah there's some really horrific stuff in here stuff that i didn't remember being as horrific as it was like quint being chopped in half is definitely one of them (laughs) um just the the way the violence the shark does it it is very it's very gory and very violent but it's never like it's not like a human sense of violence where it's like sadistic it is a predatory sense of violence and I think that's another thing I really like about this movie is that I feel like in any other movie, when you have like it's like a creature movie, they're not explicitly stated like a humans would be. But the creatures tend to have in the loosest definition of the term motivations mm-hmm. like they hate the humans for, you know, building on their land or whatever. This is it's just a shark. <laughs> well, I think you get a little bit of the the shark is toying with them is there's a bit of a cat and mouse game kind of going on with them out on the boat well that's towards the end you can yeah but you can tell like the shark has some form of intelligence and is working in like this kind of malevolent force to get at them although you don't really know other than just eating them or revenge for all the harpoons they've stuck in him yeah there's not really much of a personification you can put towards the uh the shark and I and I love how they never until you see the shark, you never real get a sense of how big it is. There, he's a big boy. He's a big Bruce boy. Bruce is a big boy. <laughs> he is a cool. Obviously, he's deadly because you see firsthand what he can do. But even then, you have the scientist who's like, "You don't understand. This is a big shark." And it's not until the end when you finally see the full shark where you're like, "Oh God!" And there's just oh the last like twenty minutes of this movie. I, I know this is a notoriously painful movie to shoot, a grueling shoot, and I think it shows in a really good way towards the end. Things like the the shark popping into the captain's quarters, I think that is just an amazing shot. All the shark, the, the like real shark footage that they use in the, around the cage. Mm-hmm. But there's it's just such quick efficient filmmaking at the end it's nothing but like inserts it's there's not a lot of coverage it's a lot of exact deliberate filmmaking that i think really heightens that's the just pace what spielberg all. does well know? that's the thing is that i've always you know i've always liked the guy but i've never seen him as the great director that a lot of people do i i always felt that there was a, a, an element of nostalgia that comes into his status but this right here where i'm like okay i get the appeal I'm not fully on board, but I get the appeal. It's you're talking about like specifically made filmmaking. Yes. And one of my issues is ironically with the climax of the film okay. when the it, it it very much appears rushed because really? of the okay. uh, bad uh, filming conditions. And I don't mean rushed in necessarily a bad way. Okay. But there are there's literally a continuity error amongst other things. Oh, okay. It, it, I mean, in the very end, when the shark jumps up onto the back of the boat, 
And there are, if you pay attention to the cuts, there's a series of cuts between that and to when Quint uh, falls down and towards the shark. Yeah. That there are jumps in time between the edits where one edit is the shark jumps on the boat. The next edit, the boat is sinking, like cut to a minute later and the boat is sinking a lot. Like it it doesn't follow 100%. Yeah. And there's even a shot when Quint is falling and you can see Brody's legs. And the next time we see Brody, he's all the way up in the okay. the, the cabin. Yeah. So that's the literally the only time I noticed where like the, the filmmaking was like a little. Uh, and that's mostly because I think the, the filmmaking shoot got very rushed at the end and was hard when they're on the boat. So it's a bit it's not excusable. And I don't think most people would notice it. Um, but I noticed that there were some little some jumps in that like 30 seconds of filmmaking there. And that's the only thing I really have to say in terms of a, uh, well, it's okay. Then as far as negative, as far as story and pacing goes, I think it's pretty much perfect. Oh, well, yes. In terms of like the, that's like the micro yeah, building yeah, that yeah. specific moment, but the yeah. macro of the film works hundred percent all the way through. And I, another part is I, I, the performances are amazing. I forgot how much I loved Quint. All three. And the I love Jaws Richard Dreyfus too. Oh, yeah. The Jaws well, mayor is an iconic okay, character. Let me just cinema. say this. I, I hate to, to bring it up, but the whole time I'm like, okay. And did anyone see my Letterboxd review? No. Mm-hmm. You did, Nick? I yeah. did not. Okay, well, Jacob, I was just thinking to myself, all right, you have the mayor. The mayor sees the dead bodies. The mayor knows that there is a shark. The mayor understands there is a shark and he's not even denying that there is a shark but the mayor is purposefully downplaying the threat of the shark in order to keep the beaches open and the quote-unquote summer dollars flowing in and i was just like oh that's that's too it's too real for me right now it it certainly has a real world app real world application and i know that the, the idea of the the rich um only seeing you know the the profits is something that is timeless but the specifics of it i thought were very very pertinent but yes he is great but it's here's the thing with with sharks is jaws um fictionalizes sharks a bit and i think it's unless you literally do no research or know nothing about sharks in general that the depiction of a great white shark is almost completely fantastical in this film. Yeah. That this premise, like a a shark pretty much never, I I don't want to say never, but pretty much never has never really done like repeat feedings on humans in a single area. That's not something that happens. And it's another little interesting shark fact, which I'm not even sure they knew back then because it's, I think it's a fairly new bit of uh, science that, the boat, Quint's boat, is named Orca. Yeah. And orcas are the only known uh, predator in the ocean to kill great white sharks. So. Damn. That works out. <laughs> they have to have known that. It, the, no, I think it's the only recent... like, recorded instances. It's been known for a while, but no one's proved it until much more recently. Yeah. Well, what an insane well, coincidence. Uh, fun fact about the orca is that the orca actually has, by a pretty wide margin, the most powerful bite in the animal kingdom. 
even surpassing the crocodile and alligator by a good amount. Orcas are just, let's just go on with this tangent because orcas are just <laughs> an amazing animal. They are. Because they will, they will literally kill sharks. And I think they rip out their livers specifically, like with surgical precision, they rip out, might not be their livers, but like they go for one specific part of their body yeah. and rip them out. And then like they're so vicious towards great white sharks. And then if you or I were swimming in the water with a, with a orca, you're fine. You're completely fine. There's not a single chance that you are going to be attacked by an orca in the wild. It's which is crazy to, to me. me because the orca is statistically a lot scarier than the shark, but the shark just looks scary. Orcas are cute. Also, there there is footage. People free dive with great white sharks these days. Well, I, yeah, you I don't can do that. Like, I feel the like fuck? there was definitely a lot of um uh obviously a, a lot about sharks wasn't as well known, but I feel like sharks in general are just not as aggressive as people think they are um, i did look it up though that sharks have there have been few recorded instances of sharks actually like taking bites out of boats so that's that's a thing yeah well to be fair it's a pretty big fucking shark <laughs> I, I i just want to say that this for some reason I, it's it been so long i just remembered that quint didn't like what's the scientist character's name i always forget damn it brody no, that's the Hooper. Shooper. Hooper. Hooper. Yeah. So I always knew that uh, Quint didn't like Hooper, but I didn't realize I forgot until the end that towards the end, he kind of they kind of befriend each other. And I thought, oh, that's yeah, nice. they warm up to each other. That's nice. Yeah. I, f- I feel like if they weren't, it, it wouldn't be as conclusive. But I do love when they're just going around showing scars. And of course, we can't not talk of the Indianapolis monologue. Well, it's you know, we were talking about like the realism of Jaws yeah. and a lot of it is, you know, sensationalized. But I think some of the power of that speech comes from the fact that that that's one hundred percent real. Like that's what actually happened to yep. the Indianapolis. Yeah, hundred percent. Like thousands, uh, like twelve hundred people went to the water, and like three hundred people survived. There's, so the sharks killing them was a thing that happened. Yes. Oh God. It's a true story. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. But the way he leans into that. Because it's, it's just a perfectly executed scene because it starts with drunken boasting and then very slowly turns into that. Um, also, quick little thing I didn't notice. Uh, the the song that Quint is singing throughout, the one about Spanish ladies, I don't remember. Uh, and the scene where, and towards the end when um, he's chasing the shark or he's he's revving up the boat that's sinking you know making it go faster there's a little orchestral swell that's like the score or whatever but they do they this the melody is that song and it's only a little bit it's the only time it shows up in the movie but once quint is like start initiates the final battle against this shark you just see the a shot of quint getting the boat ready and you hear the music repeat that little Spanish lady song. I thought that was pretty neat. Oh, that is cool. That's I, a good movie, man. It's, it's just, just it's so just great. I, I, I was afraid I wouldn't like it as much. I like it even more now. Yeah. I, th- I yeah. think so too. I went from, I think the thing, I think, I think the thing about this, the second viewing that I had that I'd noticed the, mo- or I guess it's the third viewing the thing. I noticed the most just is how good the, the world building is in the first act. 
There's so much, so much you can pick up from just like looking around the frame, especially in those those big like city shots when you know the parades. Oh yeah, through and stuff. It's it is such a dramatic departure from Solo, a Star Wars story, <laughs> where it's just Amelia Clark like telling me her entire life story, and she may as well just be talking to me because it doesn't even really make sense for her to be saying that what she's saying. So it. I don't know. It's just you get such a sense of the place we're in. It's it's a very solid sense of geography. Yeah, the island and how everyone is like you're either an islander or you're not. That was a really great little. There's there's a weird little divide between like islanders who are kind of tourists and islanders who are kind of sailors. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh God. It's just it's perfect. It's perfect. I love this. And then the when um. Oh, what's his Hooper? Hooper uh, is examining the shark that they caught. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, that's a tiger shark." And one of the the sailors is like, "Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Idiot!" I I love when Hooper is um, examining the body because I, I for some reason I had got the sense that Hooper was kind of like a sissy scientist, but he's fairly adept. I mean, he's he's. There's that great shot where you can see just how short Richard Dreyfus is. <laughs> but he's not like the city slicker scientist. He knows a good deal. He's got his scars. But when he's like examining the bodies and he's trying his hardest not to like gag. And when they're cutting open the uh, the boat as well. Oh, or the, the shark. He's got a good bit of uh, of chutzpah, of, of guts to him. Yeah. Uh, just because like there's little bits of characterization in the beginning when when he visits um brody in his house yeah and he just looks at the the meal on the table it's like is anyone eating that and just starts eating it (laughs) and like i feel like it's a great character moment of how just kind of self-assured he is as a person he's also as contrast to brody who's very kind of quiet and reserved but gets more worked up over throughout the film he's the guy who also volunteers for the shark cage Mm -hmm. which i'm like okay good on you uh, all right. I don't even know why I'm gonna ask, but I'm just gonna ask. Do do we all think this deserves to be on the BFI list? Oh, Jacob. Uh, dude, Jacob, this is. Th- let's just calm down. I'm I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> no, Nick, what do you think? Yes, I was gonna pose. I was gonna pose a. I was gonna pose a different question, thinking this was just such an obvious. Everyone's saying yes, but now Jacob has it's scaring me i i don't know what's i i was expecting jacob to say yes so hard that i started expecting him to say no (laughs) that's typically how it works so there there's two shots i love in the film one is there's a a split diopter shot oh a lot of split diopters in this for for anyone who doesn't know it's when the foreground and the background are both in focus Mm -hmm. and they use uh special it's a lot harder to do back then yeah yeah, and it's one of the more uh I watched The Untouchables, which forgot who the that, gangster who's movie? That yeah, yeah, yeah. By um Scarface oh. director uh, uh, uh Brian De Brian De Palma, yeah. Right. There's some split diopter shot. There's quite a few split diopter shots in that film, and they're very obvious. Uh mm-hmm. the the split diopter shots in this film are very subtle well because split diopter shots typically they just they look like two images spliced together yes 
typically but th- these ones he knew what he was doing yeah and then there was one other thing i noticed uh, i don't know if you noticed did either of you catch the shooting star no there is a shooting star in this film that was supposedly caught on film it wasn't like a optical effect it was just they were filming oh and there was a shooting star in the background what wow. what part of it like what uh, part of the movie brody is in the foreground and it's at night on the boat okay. one of those well one of those shots. Interesting. this is a like the cinematography of jaws just oof. oh it's great you know who oof. the camera operator was on this film who michael chapman he was the dp for taxi driver oh, oh interesting that's right look at that i mean the yeah. the sunset sunset shots there's a few of them in this film that are just super oh. crispy and just put you in the mood like i i really got i missed the ocean from this film oh like the the shot with those two fishermen are trying to get um the what the two fishermen that are on the pier when it collapses yeah yeah those that, are some of the just lesser go home now uh, is that early in the morning or late that is earlier in the film okay. yeah 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 but they're on the boat there's there's a time when quint is at the the bow of the boat just mm-hmm. standing there and there's just shots of the, the sky in the background of him. And it just, it put me in the mood to go to the ocean. Oh, I, yeah. I would love to take a trip just out. It's interesting. When I was a kid, I was just terrified of the shark. And now I, I'm like, I, I'll hop into the ocean right after watching Jaws. Oh, yeah. I'm like Brody. I, I find a new love for the ocean at the yeah. end of it. So, no, this 100%. It's okay. This is one of the best movies ever made. It really is. And I'm going to say okay, a resounding yes. Definitely. I was okay, so then I'll so then I'll pose my actual question just cuz it's such so easy. Is this the best Spielberg movie? Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, who said do you think it's Schindler's List? I, oh. I I oh, think Who said no? Who said No, no? it was Jake. I said Jake. no. He said no. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think Spielberg's best film is Schindler's List, and I think this is an extremely close second. Okay, so yeah, I, I Schindler's List is my extremely close second. Those two movies are the only ones I give like a solid five to. I I bumped it up because Jaws for me before was four, now it's five. Uh, but those two are the two where I'm like, okay, I I get the hype behind this Steven guy. <laughs> yeah, I uh, Schindler's List and that are like on the same level for me. It's hard to pick one of them, honestly. No, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm just yeah. if I. It, I just think Raiders. of Schindler's List as more having more thematic weight to it. It does. And Raiders is up there. I mean, it's not. It's yeah. not one of these two. But. Raiders is a perfect film. Oh, yeah, okay. Raiders is an amazing film. Yeah. I would definitely <laughs> say it's third. It's third or fourth, probably. Mm-hmm. I got to think of more Spielberg movies. I know a lot of people uh, love Berlin. I, I don't think anyone's claiming that's one of his all-time yeah. best, though. That's true. E.T. is pretty good. I, uh, a lot of people love BFG. Jurassic Park, that's pretty good. Oh, God, yeah, Ready no. Player One. But no, I, I think for most people, I think Jaws and Schindler's List yeah. are... Now, here's my question. Here's the question I'm going to pose to you. Where do you think the Jaws shark is now? Isn't it at the Universal Studios? No, nobody knows where it is. Oh, really? It went missing, yeah. Probably works like finance. <laughs> Day job. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, he no it's famously gone missing. And has anybody heard the story why they didn't use the shark that much in Jaws? 
Well, because it kept it breaking like, down. It looked like shit, right? Well, you know why it kept breaking down, though? No. No. So they had spent a lot of time making this shark and making it look good and real and making it work and making it easy to operate. And then the first day of filming, they brought the shark in and it sank. And they're like, what the hell? And they forgot they to calculate the fact that they were working in salt water, which has a different like density. So it just sank. Oh, <laughs> That's that is that is bordering on cringe. <laughs> I don't even know. I think that might actually just be cringe. But again, the when I was Wait, a kid, the, what? How is that? Not salt water is lighter than regular water. water. Okay, well, I don't remember. Maybe it was You're it was actually like a flood salt water. water. I don't remember. But yeah. I just remember. Well, it would probably have a different. It probably have a different surface tension. Yeah. Jacob. Uh, all, all I know is that when I was a kid, I hated that there wasn't a lot of shark. And now that I'm older, I think that's genius. Because the very few times you do see the shark, he is terrifying. There's a reason why this film has inspired so many, uh, so many, too many, too. If any, if I think the only thing that has come close to recapturing this type of monster movie is Alien. Yes, I think that's I. You know, I and they're they're still very different. Oh, if I will say this, if he had gone practical and not CGI, I can make the argument for the host. But that monster looks awful <laughs> i still need to watch i that. love you I Bob, too. but that monster looks terrible it's free on youtube right now really yeah, I need with ads one. technically that, with ads i watched well, that's, uh, memories still of murder for free on youtube well yeah that well that for free on youtube the memories of murder was just somebody uploaded the whole movie this is literally available through youtube movies for free just with ads Oh, that's cool. yeah. It's a good movie, but the one thing that keeps it from being a great movie is the CGI is terrible, and that's what sucks because you got my boy Song Kang Ho in there, and he's amazing in it. But oh god, and it's a very allegorical movie. But oh god, that CGI. Well, Jaws is great. It so is great. Fully recommended. Great, if you haven't seen it, hard yet. recommend. If you haven't yeah. seen it yet, and you consider yourself a filmmaker or a film fan or like any 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 kind of anything you can call yourself when you listen to this podcast shame on you and go watch it it's yeah it's great it's got a little That's something for I everyone say about it that and paddington too those are the two movies if you haven't seen shame <laughs> on you uh are we still discussing our summer moments or is that for the next episode yeah let's let's leave that i forgot about that we're, we're plenty plenty of time now so this is um, Jaws 1975. Interesting enough, I think the 70s have had the most amount of movies so far. It's a good decade. Um, I don't think it's going to stay that way forever. I think it's going to, as we get closer to the top, it's going to start drifting towards the 60s. Yeah. But it's going to stay like that's 60s, late 60s, early 70s are the is kind of like the, the nexus of the, the films on this list. Um. With all that being said, our next film is Brighter Summer Day by Edward Yang from 1991. I'm very excited for this. We have a very, very good excited. guest next week to talk about this film with. And uh, yeah, it's a long You guys movie. got like an actual guest that's just like not one of your friends. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he's first he's, actual guest. He's very passionate about this movie, too. First, we will have more actual guests coming up. So. Not just friends. It's it's a four hour movie, so 
Start now. Yeah, eventually, eventually, I will be an actual guest. We'll you got to work towards that. Friends. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to earn the right to be named an actual guest. Come back to us when you have a BAFTA. When he, when Hulk, when Hulk hands eventually makes us money somehow. Then... <laughs> it only costs what eight hundred dollars. We just got to get a documentary about it made at Sundance. Call it Hulk hands. <laughs> It's just me like eating pencils and it cuts over to you. You're like, that, that, that was, was wicked, wicked, man. 